welcome to episode 23 of the Underground Christian Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Last episode, we looked at the role that capture plays in warfare. There are many things to be captured, and we just touched on a few of them. The idea of capture is to gain control over something. In a war, you don't have to conquer and vanquish an enemy to win a victory. You just need to exert control over the enemy. That same concept is true even in everyday life. If we wanted to capture a car, for example, we could steal it physically, or we could exert control over how it's used. Maybe we would install a remote control device that would control where it goes, or record where it travels, or how far. Or we could install a limiter to control how fast it can go, or we could control the person who operates it. With the right surveillance technology and enforcement ability, we could effectively control everything about that car. If we wanted to capture a prison, we could send an armed contingent to physically take it from the authorities. Or we could infiltrate people into its executive and prison guard ranks to control what goes on inside through them. We might, for example, make sure that a high-profile prisoner who has compromising information about our friends gets placed into a high-security suicide watch area of the prison. Then, just before he drops some important names to prosecutors, the video cameras in the high-security area would just happen to not work, and the guards wouldn't notice that the cameras they normally watch like a hawk don't work because they would be too busy watching porn on their iPhones. Then, somehow, the suicide watch prisoner would conveniently find a way to suicide himself that very night when the cameras decided not to work, thereby avoiding all the trouble that would come if he were to disclose the perverse corruption of our friends. I'm just making this up, of course. Any similarity to persons living dead or suicided in New York prisons is merely a coincidence. Now, if we wanted to capture an agency, bureau, or department in government, we might establish a lucrative financial arrangement between the regulatory managers and the regulated community. Maybe we could promise senior members of the government agency, bureau, or department an executive or highly lucrative consulting position within the regulated businesses after they leave government in exchange for favorable treatment while they are in government. Maybe said members of government would try to hide incriminating information about their true relationship with the regulated community by putting a secrecy hold on the incriminating information for maybe, oh, let's just say a crazy example, um, say 75 years. I know, that would never happen because the people over at the FDA are really good, big-hearted... Uh, excuse me. I, I meant to say that any similarity to a person, company, agency, or administration in this example is purely coincidental. And if we wanted to capture an entire government, we would need to establish loyal personnel in all the key positions of government while eliminating, or controlling, anyone who does not agree to our terms. In a democracy, we might fund both sides of the political aisle, the races on both sides, so that no matter who wins, our guy gets in. Or gal. We might wine and dine our winners and treat them like royalty, so they get to thinking they are more than they really are, and then we'll get them hooked on the feeling of prestige and invite them to private parties where they will be induced, willingly or otherwise, to participate in activities which, should the public ever find out, would not only ruin their careers, but put them in prison. And we would record it. Those same people could be used to place the bent fingers right people, unbent fingers, in controlling positions within government. For the difficult organizations, like the Department of Defense, that have a long history of protecting the traditional ways of America, we would apply both the placement technique and the compromising technique to control the senior members of that organization. To make it easier for the senior officers to control the rank-and-file members of that organization, we would use a test. Like, for example, whether a soldier in the military would be willing to shoot their own citizens if they were ordered to do so. And then we would drum out of the military anyone who said they would not be willing to do that while recruiting more of those who say, sure I would, kind of like what Obama did. Or maybe we could force everyone in the government to take an experimental gene-editing biological agent that was developed using DARPA weapons technology and a dubiously developed Chinese genetic code posted to a shady website on the dark web and then fire or discharge those people who refuse to take it. Okay, I made up the dark web part. But if we think really big, capturing one department or even one government is just not enough. The truly inspired psychopaths among us will want to take over the whole planet. And to do that, they have to capture something on which the entire planet relies. Something really, really big, like our central financial institutions, or the energy supplies, or the food supplies, or the industrial supplies, 
or the raw material supplies, or the economic supply chain, or the medical industry, or Walt Disney, because people can't go without their fix of Pluto, Cinderella, and overpriced fast food. It's just asking too much of them. Fortunately for the psychopaths, there are three massive companies which own a controlling interest in all these things and in every major publicly traded company in the Western world. As we saw last week, these three companies are State Street, BlackRock, and Vanguard, with the first two being owned by the third, Vanguard. And who owns Vanguard? Well, no one knows for sure because it's a closely held private company that does not disclose its ownership. But I can tell you who does not own it. You don't, and neither do I. It's owned by an undisclosed, mysterious, shadowy group of private individuals we can legitimately call oligarchs. Are we really safe, much less free, when a small group of elitist oligarchs own virtually everything that our lives depend on? Do we really think that our political traditions can protect our government and ourselves from capture when a handful of people control almost all the wealth of the entire world, including every monetary system in the Western world? It wasn't enough that they control the businesses and all the wealth. They had to control the actual money supply as well. Money, 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 as we saw last week, is used every day to purchase not just luxury, but power and influence. It's done through a mechanism called bribery. Merriam-Webster defines bribery as money or favor given or promised in order to influence the judgment or conduct of a person in a position of trust or something that serves to induce or influence. So at best, a bribe is used to induce or influence someone to do something they normally wouldn't, but usually the term connotes an inducement to corrupt the judgment of a person who is in a position of power and trust and alter their conduct accordingly. That is why God hates bribery. Way back in Exodus 23.8, God warned us against this practice. He said, and you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. This advice was written in the context of a court proceeding where a bribe would alter the judgment of those whose job it is to discern the truth. It would do that by compelling the recipient of the bribe to twist the words of the innocent man to make him seem like a liar. Taking a bribe always produces an unavoidable deleterious effect on the receiver of the bribe because bribes require the circumvention of honesty and integrity in order to obtain something illicitly. Bribes necessarily incorporate deception and lies. Proverbs 17.23 identifies the character of a person who takes a bribe. It says, The wicked accepts a bribe in secret to pervert the ways of justice. So, bribery rewards an undeserving person at the expense of a deserving person under the cloak of secrecy. It has to be done secretly, or good people would put a stop to it. Even evil people would put a stop to it if the participants did not share the benefits of the bribe with them. Money buys many things, and someone who controls all the money in the world can buy whatever the world has for sale. And unfortunately, the world has all kinds of evil, perverted, and wicked things ready for transaction. It has these things ready because the world, in this context, is the economic, social, political, and military system that was created and is controlled by Satan to advance his agenda. Satan is the ruler of the world, according to Jesus in John 14.30, and as its ruler, he gives the world the values and attributes of his power. Jesus described these attributes when he said to the Pharisees in John 8.44, You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Lies, deceit, theft, even murder, these are Satan's attributes, and they are the attributes of the world as a whole, a world in which bribery in many forms is used to obtain the cooperation and loyalty of people in positions of power and influence in order to usher in destruction, which is a kind of murder and corruption. As we were advised by an exceptionally popular world-focused politician not too long ago, fundamental change is coming to America and to the world. The word fundamental means at its root. From the ground up, starting with the foundation, which is the base on which the entire structure rests. It does not mean tweaking a good thing. Fundamental change brings in something that is completely different from what previously existed. When Obama won the presidential office, he announced his hatred of the America that produces a free and brave people, and he promised to fundamentally change it. Hillary hates that America, too, and she helped Obama move that ball toward the goal line. 
Fundamental change cannot come fully to America, however, until all the pieces are in place to crush any resistance to the change, lest the recipients of that change see the direction they are headed and decide to resist. Obama and Clinton were selected to prepare America for the new world order, and just as they were about to establish the final components of that plan in the early part of a Hillary Clinton administration, that wretch Donald Trump ruined everything by unexpectedly winning the 2016 presidential election. They had everything in place for Hillary to be crowned with her victory wreath, even a massive cheating campaign at the polls and in the electronic voting machines. But they didn't cheat big enough to defeat Donald Trump. That failure so outraged the captains of destiny that they spent the next four years doing everything they could possibly think of to remove Donald Trump from office, or at least tie him up enough to keep him from setting back the globalist agenda. They corrected their errors in the 2020 election and cheated so massively and so brazenly that they were able to install a barely coherent dementia patient in the Oval Office. If you have any doubt about the scale of the cheating, just watch the movie 2000 Mules and see if you can rationally draw any other conclusion. Money buys lots of things, and in this case, it bought an election. Hundreds of millions of dollars were spent on a massive and coordinated media blitz to smear Trump and glorify Biden. Free speech was crushed. Tech oligarchs decided what could be said and what couldn't, and the test was very simple. Say anything that praised Biden or criticized Trump and you would be praised and celebrated and on the air. But say anything that praised Trump or criticized Biden and you would be canceled and persecuted. Then they bought the ballots, bought the mules to transport the ballots, bought the people who counted the ballots, and bought the corrupt corporations that ran the corrupt electronic voting systems. And that purchasing plan bought the election. There is no better way to control our government than to install a greedy, corrupt, babbling, mentally deteriorating, four-time losing presidential candidate in the White House as a presidential placeholder. A man who is so hopelessly compromised along with his entire family that he will do whatever his handlers tell him to do. And they spend a lot of time telling him what to do, where to walk, what to say, when to leave, and where to go. Mostly he listens, but when he doesn't, they cut off his microphone, dismiss the exceptionally cooperative media, and send the handlers out to physically retrieve him. Or, on a good day, they shut off most of the cameras and just let him wander around aimlessly until his wife has time to fetch him. As soon as the globalists seize power through Biden, the Obama government reinstalled itself and got right to work where it left off preparing America and the world for the New World Order, one that was gleefully anticipated by the elder former president, George Bush, as we heard last week. Let me remind you of something he said in that presidential address. We have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order, a world where the rule of law, not the law of the jungle, governs the conduct of nations. When we are successful, and we will be, we have a real chance at this new world order an order in which a credible United Nations can use its peacekeeping role to fulfill the promise and vision of the UN's founders. When George said, a credible United Nations can use its peacekeeping role, that little phrase has special meaning to the globalists. What comes to mind for most people when they think about the United Nations is the charitable role it plays in handing out food to hungry people often in front of the blue helmets of a few international policemen, plus all the cameras. That's the staged propaganda image that the UN creates for itself. That is not at all what George Bush meant by credible or peacekeeping role. Globalists view the United Nations as the future of governance. They want a world government, and the United Nations was created to facilitate transition to that government. That's the context of the term credible. It means governmentally authoritative. President Bush was referring to a future United Nations with real governmental authority. And what does it mean to have real governmental authority? It means to have rulemaking and enforcement ability. Rulemaking is a foundational attribute of every government, but a government only has authority if it has the power and ability to enforce its rules. And that's where the term peacekeeping role comes in. Peacekeepers are the police or military. Peacekeeping implies the presence of hostile, violent antagonists because you don't need to keep the peace when everyone is getting along. To keep the peace, a government must have armed agents who are able to enforce its rules on the antagonists. The root of the term enforce, of course, is force. 
Enforcement is why the police carry some weapons and military organizations wield many weapons. George Bush Sr. dreamed of a United Nations that writes rules and enforces them on the world. But in his day, the UN was not a legitimate governing body because it did not have the ability to enforce its own rules. The UN did not have a military of its own. It had to borrow military personnel from other nations, put a blue helmet on them, and send them out into the third world countries to make a show of their presence. That was usually ineffective, and it was always humiliating. Keep in mind that the United Nations is the organ of state that the globalists intend to use to usher the people of the world into a new world order. For it to be credible, the United Nations will need a military force at its fingertips, ready to be used whenever, wherever, and however the unelected bureaucrats at the UN decide to use it. You see, every aspiring despot requires a centralized military authority to be at their beck and call because despots are the enemy of free people everywhere and free people will eventually fight back when they are compelled to face their inevitable future under the despot. The question is, how does the United Nations obtain a military force that will obey its orders? Answer, they capture it. And the process is simple. Play a game of bait and switch with national loyalties by destabilizing target countries. The art of this game was understood and documented by one of the greatest heroes of the left. His name was Saul Alinsky. The game was then practiced and refined on a small scale by another one of their heroes, Bill Ayers. We will start with Saul Alinsky since he developed the game and then mentored both Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. Alinsky started his career in the 1920s as a very influential community organizer, just like Obama, author, and political activist in Chicago, where he worked right up until his death in 1972. He authored the authoritative treatise on this form of bait-and-switch tactic which was immediately embraced by Western revolutionaries and distributed to their kinsmen worldwide. It is titled Rules for Radicals. This is a very dark, very disturbing book that seems to have been written by a psychopath, at least to people with a normal sense of morality. Alinsky did nothing to allay this aura of psychopathy when he wrote, Lest we forget at least an over-the-shoulder acknowledgement to the very first radical, the first radical known to man who rebelled against the establishment and did it so effectively that he at least won his own kingdom, Lucifer. It's not everybody who positions Lucifer in an honorary position at the front of their social management instruction book, one that codifies the best ways to use lies, deceptions, and betrayals to achieve radical political change. Hillary Clinton loved this book so much she made it the basis for her undergraduate special honors thesis at Wellesley College. She titled this 1969 classic, There is Only the Fight. She so adored this giant of literary radicalism that she engaged him in a fevered letter-writing exchange after she wrote her thesis. Barack Obama was too young to be mentored directly by Alinsky, but he was not too young to be mentored by the Alinsky disciples in Chicago during his community organizer phase of life. During that time, Obama was introduced to Bill Ayers, who had previously founded the Weather Underground, a radical, violent American terrorist organization that operated in the 60s and 70s and did a really swell job of translating the ideas of Alinsky's book into practical action. They did things like bomb the United States Capitol building, you know, using real bombs and stuff. After his organization blew up a few structures and killed a few people here and there for political change, Ayers was rewarded with a prestigious fellowship at the University of Illinois at Chicago, from which post he tutored Barack Obama. Just keep that in mind the next time the withered prune that currently occupies the House of Representatives chair babbles something incoherent about January 1st. The intent of these fundamental change movements is always to establish tyranny where it did not previously exist, because intellectuals love tyranny. They loved Karl Marx and his God-hating, human-loathing call to tyranny. They adored the way the Soviet Union brutally enslaved its own people and then crushed any sense of independence and liberty from its satellite nations. They cheered every Marxist despot who strutted around Europe or bloviated at the United Nations. They championed Adolf Hitler and his fascist tyranny, at least until he attacked their precious Soviet Union. But today, they once again pose for pictures with and embrace swastika-tatted Ukrainian leaders and subsidize their Nazi thugs with our tax money and billions of dollars worth of highly advanced weaponry. They loved Mao and his Chinese Communist Party so much they spoke in awe, hushed tones when teaching about the brilliance of the Cultural Revolution. 
the period when Mao consolidated his political power by slaughtering tens of millions of innocent Chinese civilians for the crime of not being Mao. There is not one single oppressive despot anywhere in the world that is capable of offending Western intellectual elites because they love tyranny. What they hate is the nasty concept of freedom. They hate that it keeps rearing its ugly head and interfering with their tyrannical utopian vision, and they especially hate how we embrace it over here in America. From their perspective, Americans had the gall to enshrine this hated idea of liberty in their constitution, the foundational document of America. So of course they feel compelled to attack, pervert, twist, malign, and corrupt the constitution at every opportunity, and they will keep doing that until it lives and breathes enough space for tyranny to strut confidently into power. Saul Alinsky captured the spirit of this modern revolutionary movement in several notable quotes. He explained the important role of a community organizer thusly. The organizer's first job is to create the issues or problems, and organizations must be based on many issues. The organizer must first rub raw the res resentments of the people of the community, fan the latent hostilities of many of the people to the point of overt expression. He must search out controversy and issues rather than avoid them, for unless there is controversy, people are not concerned enough to act. An organizer must stir up dissatisfaction and discontent. Now that is nothing if it's not the working platform of the Democrat Party, starting with Bill Clinton and accelerating through the presidency of Barack Obama and his congressional allies. When Trump showed up to make America great again, the Democrat demons spent four years making America as divided and wretched a hellhole as they could possibly manage, using their Antifa street allies, their ideological mentors, black lives apparently don't matter very much, and the always accommodating mainstream media. It must have been challenging for their media allies to stand in front of burning buildings and claim protests were mostly peaceful, but there is no lie too large to utter if it will help the cause. Media images matter to most people, and Alinsky was sharp enough to realize that unkempt, smelly, drugged-out zombies do not inspire people to change. So he suggested that true revolutionaries do not flaunt their radicalism. They cut their hair, put on suits, and infiltrate the system from within. Once the 60s radicals sobered up and came out of their drug-induced stupors, they applied this principle well and spent the next several decades infiltrating every corner of power and influence in the West including in politics where they infiltrated both the Republican and Democrat parties. There really is nothing like controlling both sides of the political aisle. By controlling both sides of a two-party system, you can captivate and distract the people by having your political wrestlers fight and claw and battle over issues of local temporary importance in order to keep them occupied and distracted while the ball moves steadily and mercilessly toward the goal line of tyranny. And that is the work of America's Uniparty, a donkey with a trunk. Alinsky also said, The first step in community organizing is community disorganizing. The disruption of the present organization is the first step toward community organization. Present arrangements must be disorganized if they are to be displaced by new patterns. All change means disorganization of the old and organization of the new. There have been no better disorganization organizations than Antifa and BLM, which are virtual appendages of the Democrat Party and heroes to people like Hillary and Obama and Biden and Pelosi and Schumer, and lots and lots of other politicians on both sides of the aisle also. Finally, Alinsky uttered one of the most devious ideas that is intended to undermine the constitutional protections of all Americans. He said, They have the guns, and therefore we are for peace and for reformation through the ballot. When we have the guns, then it will be through the bullet. Alinsky was not concerned about Americans who own a few small-caliber handguns and rifles. The guns he is referring to are the ones controlled by the military and police that are able to quickly and decisively silence all the small-caliber guns held by the civilian population. Once the proponents of tyranny gain control over the guns of the police and the military, they will unleash them on anyone and everyone who resists their rapid ascendancy to the heights of absolute tyranny. For those of us here in America, those guns could be owned by the U.S. government, or they could be guns owned by someone else. Either way, they will need a pretense to create the appearance of legitimacy, if for no other reason than to prevent members of these police and military organizations from rebelling against their own controllers. So to establish tyranny in America, 
the revolutionaries need to do two things more or less at the same time. They need to capture the guns, and they need to erase the constitutional protections that keep them from capturing the guns. They have been working on this problem for a long time, and I believe they have found a solution. But who am I? Let's hear from someone who is better connected than I am and see what she has to say about this situation. Dr. Lee Merritt is an accomplished orthopedic surgeon and former naval officer who is doing what all of our military officers should be doing but aren't. She's battling to expose the weapon that is masquerading as medicine but isn't. She has some unique work experience and skills for evaluating what the shot is and what it's not, but more importantly, she has some insight into how the globalists are going to pull off the first of those two things the revolutionaries need in order to establish tyranny in America, the part about the guns. After we hear some words of wisdom from Dr. Merritt, we will see how they are going to address the second part of the problem. This is part of an interview by Alex Newman of the Foundation for American Christian Education. You know, we're, we're, t we're here talking about, are we, is World War III going to break out? And we don't realize we're already in World War III. Um, develop that for us. Explain that for us. What does it mean that we're already in a war? And uh, if we're already in a war, what should we be doing? You know, the reason that I started speaking out early is in February 1st of 2020, I realized this was a bioweapon. And anybody that denies it at this point just really isn't looking at the science because they sell it, say look at the science, but they don't really mean it. Um, you know, there was a paper that came out by uh, Prashant Pradhan and his group in Delhi, India, and it showed that that there were four inserts into the subunit of the spike protein of SARS-CoV-2, and and the these inserts were not natural. They came, they weren't in nature, they weren't in any other coronavirus, they weren't in SARS, they weren't in MERS, they weren't in any, uh, they weren't even in SARS, I don't think SARS-CoV-1. So they were from, and when they, they looked at these inserts, they, they cross-referenced them to the HIV. In other words, they took four segments of human, human immunodeficiency virus, the virus we associate with AIDS, and they stuck them into the spike protein of HIV. Now, she meant to say the spike protein of the novel coronavirus, which we now call COVID-19. The reason that I've been screaming about this early on, too, was because if you look at how they made the vaccine, and this is why I say we're already in World War III, what they did was it, literally we have to, and this is why we have to really think about this. Who could accept this and what's happened to our military people? Um, even before that paper came out, I just described to you, it turned out that they had the Chinese claimed, oh, we got a guy with COVID. We know what, it, this guy's classic COVID and we've sequenced the genome from this one guy and we put it up in the gene bank. And then people on this end, Inovio and uh, uh, Pfizer and Moderna and all these vaccine corporations, they download, they claim they downloaded it and within hours had created a vaccine template. At least they then produced it, but they created the idea of what they were gonna do. So let's get this right. The, the Chinese, people that we don't consider our allies, technically. The most the, murderous regime in all of human history. <laughs> yes, let's keep that in mind. So the Chinese claim they uploaded a gene sequence from one patient into the gene bank. Our people downloaded it, and from that they made a vaccine that they have just mandated our entire military, police force, firemen, first-line responders, nurses, doctors, everybody in our infrastructure of defense should take. Really? Let's just, I mean, I actually asked a retired general one time, I said, has the entire general staff of our military services been captured? And his comment was, I believe so. Capture. You just need to capture a few not-so-good men and voila, you can do the craziest things. It, it is, one cannot, you, you just can't fathom that we would do this. It's just a a total national security nightmare. So when I say that we're in World War III, let me just lay that out a little bit. So there are there are there are four stages I think that we've we've gone through. The first stage was the production and release of the pathogen. And by the way, this production idea goes back 20 years. You can you can trace lots of things back. As David Martin said, every aspect of that spike protein was patented before 2018. So this isn't something that it is something that we should have been watching and people were that knew. Having studied bioweapons for decades, I would say it doesn't really, it doesn't really make you understand the precise 
nature of what's happening now, but it does, when you see little pieces of data, it puts it, helps you put it in context, which is why, you know, we could also talk about the bioweapons labs that we knew for a long time were in former Soviet uh, satellites like Georgia and now Ukraine. So, but anyway, um, yeah, so stage one was the release of the pathogen. Stage two was the psychological operation. Now, I will tell you, now looking back in retrospect, and it, and, and it didn't take too long for me to come up with this, is that this was not an airborne virus that took us down in 2020 that, that, that they claimed were killing people. If you really look at it, it was three big unit areas, metropolitan areas, Wuhan, Lombardy area in, in Italy, and New York City that had this sudden rush of, of sick people, a bunch of colorful deaths, and then it fizzled out pretty quickly. You know, it yes, we still had some people dying, and we had this kind of death curve that looked very much like every winter death curve. But that would have gone ahead. We not done anything like Sweden. It would have just kind of done the natural thing and, and, and fizzled away. But what did we do? This is phase two. Phase two, we started counting cases as if they were sick people. Now, that's never been done in the history of medicine. So counting cases then got everybody afraid. It was done from a false positive test that was designed to be false positive. These PCR tests were never meant to be used like this and uh, were misused even even they were misuse of a misuse. So they were just designed to be false and scare people. That was stage two. And what was the fear for? It was so people would run out and take a vaccine, so-called vaccine, which we, we now know are technically viral-based genetic therapies or VBGTs. That's what the FDA called them in 2015. That's what we knew them as. People were studying them. They knew they shed on people. There's a lot of things now we know that we didn't know when they first came out. But I knew we should not be taking these until we know more about it, because look, this, if you believe that the now is even mainstream media, the, the, even the brain dead apparently can wake up um, a little bit. Some people are squeaking and saying it was a bioweapon. If the, if the spike protein of SARS-CoV-2 is a bioweapon, then so is the vaccine. I'd like to think, first of all, I would like to think that these mandates coming down and the world opening up somewhat, is it the, because of the result of our uh, resistance and, uh, to being coerced and corralled? But the other, the other possibility which people need to understand is that they could be just not caring because it's done. I mean, whatever is, 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 it is now. People that have already been vaccinated they're only debating about whether to get the fourth or fifth booster. And the people that are not vaccinated at this per period are unlikely to go out and get vaccinated as more and more information comes out. So we have, we have an unknown number of people in the world vaccinated. And one of the reasons it's unknown is because they don't want to know or they don't want to tell us. Um, the military, for example, they're holding the religious exemptions in local commands so they don't all go up to a central clearing place in D.C. So they they really can't tell you how many people still are unvaccinated in the military. Now, maybe that's a maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's for national security. Maybe this is a, But I don't think so. But that's that's possible. So now where are we? Well, I think that um, we're in trouble demographically. If you, this is not a war against the entire world. It's mostly a world war against Western civilization. You know, the people in Senegal were not lined up and forced to have a vaccine, as far as I know. This is a, this is, but, but look at the Western world. England is- Nor not, were the Chinese or the Russians, at least yeah. not with these uh, gene-based therapies. That is a point, and they're the two militaries that did not use this on their military. Let's make, let's be clear about this. Uh, we claim that we have over ninety percent or ninety-five percent of our military, at least the Navy, Army, and Air Force, vaccinated. So uh, that is a big differential problem there. The what what's what's happened though around the world is we're starting to see the damage that those of us speaking out early, uh, not to sound like I told you so, but we've been saying don't take you it. You did tell us so. Yeah, well, don't take it and. And now we're seeing, I think, some of the results. And so uh, you heard, you probably talked about this, the Indiana Life Insurance CEO that, that has actuarial data. You know, actuaries are honest people that live and die by numbers. They're not going, they don't have a political, uh, they don't make money because of being political. They have, a, they make money by being right. And so they, they consider a bump in death rate of 0.1% as something that happens occasionally. Okay. But and a 10% bump in death rate is a two, one in 200 year nightmare that they call a three sigma event. Now, this is, they're reporting from 2021, a 42% increase death rate. That is unheard of. And that's a 13 sigma event. I mean, this is a, it's a complete disaster. 
Around the world, we're seeing confirmatory data. In the ONS data, it looks like it's a 47% increased death rate in England or Britain. And in uh, Germany, they're at least admitting a 25% increase, all-cause mortality. When I say death rate, we're looking at all-cause mortality because you can, you can fudge what's COVID and fudge what's a heart disease and whatever. That's, that's somewhat subjective. But when you're dead, you have a death certificate. When you're alive, you don't. That's, that's, that's the, uh, the, the cutoff here. So, and so we have around the world this happening. I tried to find Israel, by the way, and they, you can't find how many people are dying in Israel, but Israel, I think is going to turn out to be not good, but we can't get at that. I ran into at our meeting, I ran into a mortician and just as another bit of confirmatory data, I said to him, what are we seeing now? You know, he said in 2020, the year of COVID, they didn't see any bump in their death rate, but now they can't keep up. It's just, it's, and it's not just elderly, it's all ages. I have that also confirmatory data from a whistleblower in the organ, doning, organ donation system that helps look at, you know, are you a candidate for your, you're, you're on a vet and you're brain dead, are you a candidate for a brain uh, an organ donation? And they're seeing the same thing. Lots of younger people, clots, multiple bleeds, all sorts of weird stuff happening. So we have an increased death rate on top of which now we have a decreased birth rate. And I don't have numbers that I can generate right now. I'm working on that. But but we know for a fact that there was a huge bump in miscarriages, in stillbirths. Um, I know in Vancouver, there was one hospital. And, and just as a, as, a, as a baseline, my friend Christian Northrup said that four percent or four in all her years of being in OBGYN she only saw four stillbirths and there was something like 22 stillbirths in a very short period of time like overnight or you know in a week at this Vancouver hospital and the doctor who reported it was put into a psych psych ward so oh uh, they're trying to hide all this but it's not it's not going to work it's going to be yeah, and, and it's exactly what we're seeing Lee uh, I mean I, the number of people that I know personally who have died in the last two weeks I mean I've never seen anything like it. I'd, I'd say we're probably up at eight or nine now. Uh, even my dad, he took that shot. His heart stopped about 36 yeah, hours later, and he never really recovered from that. Uh, and now we've got the Pfizer documents. We've got the FDA documents that the court ordered release showing that they knew 1,291 side effects in alphabetical order. One of them was cardiac failure. Um, it's just, this is insane, Lee, and, and you're absolutely right. Uh, we've only got a few minutes left, so I really want to get your thoughts on this. Because I think this is the question that now everybody should be asking. Uh, is there anything that we can do for those who have taken it? Do you, I, I know you've looked at some of the uh, protocol yeah. ideas out there. What are your thoughts? Well, I'm going to start. Usually I start at the bottom work up. But I'm going to start at the top and work down and just say that this is a an existential um, biblical war. I mean, we are we are dealing with an evil takedown like we've never seen this this is really beyond this is good and evil it's beyond science and the first thing to do is understand that there's some of these things we can't fix but maybe god well god could fix uh whether we all get fixed is another story but that i think that people need to get right with god because um this this is at the base of this but the second thing is um and that's and I say that by the way because the one thing that I can tell you we don't have a clue right now on how to deal with is the fact that you've been injected with artificial DNA or RNA that get and they now show that it gets into your genome which we we all knew it would, um, but there are other things that you need to do. One of the big things is uh, we worry about clotting. Everybody should probably go have their doctor get them a D dimer or they go to a cash lab and just get one. A D dimer test looks for microclotting. Um, and that this is an inflam it, it, the, the way the way the disease kills you is multiple ways now the, the vaccine it can give you covid right away which is kills you kind of with an inflammatory salt wasting disease and then later the risk is autoimmune disease neurologic disease and cancer now I've got a website, themedicalrebel.com, which goes into detail. There's what to do for vaccine remorse. And if you push the big red bar, I've got a big list. So I can't go through it all right now and get through it. But but there are some things that I, I tell you to do. Um, one of them, for example, is selenium. People are talking about the uh, this, 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 uh, oh, people are coming up with VAIDs now, vaccine uh, auto or um, uh, AIDS, okay, vaccine-induced AIDS, and acquired immunodeficiency. Well, it turns out that when Dr. Fauci was killing people with AZT, another group of researchers showed that if you 
saturated your body with selenium, don't take over 220 micrograms a day, it actually prevented people from progressing from a positive HIV status to AIDS. So that's one of the things to do. Betaine, I've got a, uh, I have on my side a thing called my immune stack, but it's got selenium and betaine in it. Why betaine? Judy Mikovits taught me this, that, that one of the things the vaccine does is stop methylation. Methylation is what's keeping your DNA in check. We all have cancer genes in our DNA. And so for the long term, why do you, you know, when you have cancer genes, you were born with them, why don't you get cancer at age 10? Because your immune system is still great and you're a good methylator. But as you get older, those things kind of deteriorate. So what you want to do is supply methyl groups. And betaine is trimethylglycine. So it's good for a lot of things at ALU. But there's just a lot of little tricks like that which you can do. I think if you have symptoms like brain fog and things like that, consider uh, IV ozonation, consider uh, IV glutathione, consider ivermectin, um, and also uh, hyperbaric oxygen therapy. But people need to get stocked up in their house because the government, what you big, big need to realize is the government's trying to kill you. They're taking away your opportunity to treat yourself. This is what medical freedom is really all about. We should have the freedom to treat ourselves. It seems clear to Dr. Merritt and many other people like me who were once in the military that at least the general staff has been captured. Leftists scream bloody murder when Trump tried to dismiss a handful of particularly egregious attorneys over at the Justice Department, claiming that the president cannot dismiss those who oppose his program, and he has no right to install those who do, apparently. I wonder how that's being handled over at the Biden administration these days. Oh, yes. They are firing everyone in the military who even remotely opposes whatever orders they choose to give, with the result that the ones who are left are totally willing and eager to do whatever it is they're told to do. This isn't surprising, given that Obama started this process with a questionnaire asking whether soldiers would follow orders to kill other Americans, and then dismissing those who said no. But people lie all the time, and tyrants know that. It's one thing to capture a handful of treasonous, cowardly general officers who finally got their promotion and don't want to give up the reins of power, it's another thing to brainwash the entire rank and file of the military. There are people in and outside of the military who are fighting back. People like Dr. Lee Vliet and attorney David Wilson, who's representing Lieutenant Mark Bashaw in his court-martial because Lieutenant Bashaw was trying to protect the troops he was commissioned to lead regarding all of these bioweapon shots. Now, Dr. Vliet knows the seriousness of the situation. Let's listen to what she has to say. Well, let me just say this in regards to Vinman and uh, the rot at the top. The American people know exactly what's going on here. And the average American doesn't want anything to do with any of this garbage. It's all anti-human. It's all very anti-God in my view. And uh, Lee, I think if there's good news, it's just that, that people are waking up and red-blooded Americans are going to show up at the polls in 2022, and we are going to cleanse this government of these demonic Democrats. And hopefully some of the rhinos, too, like Liz Cheney in the very near future. Well, Sean, I, I hope you're right. But understand this. Those in power who are so lawless do not want us to have the midterm elections. And they are already working on the pandemic of the summer time frame. They've telegraphed that quite openly. Bill Gates, Fauci and many others are already talking about the next pandemic. And we are actually doing a whole seminar series every Thursday night. We'll be on Zoom going forward. And it is live Q&A with experts from different fields presenting people with action plans. Until we fix the fraud that stole the 2020 election, which has been well-documented in the six battleground states, None of them have acted on it. Until we fix that, we don't have much hope of an honest election in 2022 if we're allowed to get to that point with the lockdowns and the threats of another viral outbreak. They're already talking about Marburg. They're already talking about the fact that we may need more lockdowns and more quarantines. They're building quarantine facilities. We have whistleblowers who have sent us photographs of what is being built with government money, with taxpayer money. We have interagency agreements right here in Arizona that the governor and counties have approved. They're already working on this. The provisions of the Marburg Act have been invoked. Todd Callender has spoken about that. 
the money is being spent. Training is underway. So I go back to your point about people need to wake up. We can only have a landslide victory if we have an honest election and if people are free to go and vote. So there's a lot to be done between now and the midterms. And we and this your efforts to wake people up are critically needed. Truth for Health Foundation is doing that as well with our public alert action plan preparing seminar series. And Attorney Wilson, Todd Callender, and all of the team legally <clears throat> that are working with us on the legal defense grants and, and lawsuits for our military service members are all aimed at the court of public opinion understanding the enormity of the assault going on against our service members under the cloak of military secrecy. Rising despots are, if nothing else, paranoid cowards, so they would not be willing to risk an all-or-nothing political push if they had any doubt whether they could control the United States military, and they can't be sure how they will respond when the orders come down, meaning the military. In other words, if the tyrants cannot rely on the military going along with their plan, then they need an insurance policy to make sure they do. What kind of an insurance policy, you might ask? Well, just ask yourself this. What do tyrants always do with unreliable and dangerous, to them, members of society to ensure a smooth transition of power to the tyrant? Why they kill them, of course. So the best insurance policy is something that will kill or incapacitate their opponents on command. And how might they pull that off, you might ask? Well, one way would be by tricking or forcing all the people with guns, but especially the military police and Second Amendment supporters, to put a weapon into their bodies that can be triggered from an external source on command. But since no one would willingly place a weapon into their bodies, the best way to pull that off would be through a bait and switch. The bait would be a medicine that ostensibly will help combat what the media have labeled the most dangerous virus to ever beset the world, but in actuality is no more dangerous than a bad flu. The switch is a bioweapon for a medicine a bioweapon that self-assembles itself on command to clog up arteries and trigger strokes, heart attacks, and other severe effects that render the person suddenly incapacitated and often dead. Doing such a thing would surely have some undesirable consequences since it would not be a medicine. There would be medical signs that the medicine doesn't work and maybe even compromises in health in many ways. Kind of like the shot we were all supposed to take and all of our military was ordered to take. Dr. Merritt clearly thinks it's a bioweapon, and it has many characteristics of a weapon. Yet no one knows exactly what it will do or how it could be triggered as a weapon, but we do know that getting the shot was the purpose of releasing the genetically engineered virus from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which is really a bioweapons laboratory. The shot was mandated in every nation of the Western world, but it was not even offered in many third world nations. China and Russia banned these gene therapy shots entirely, especially in the Chinese and Russian militaries. Now, I don't know exactly what's going to happen to those who took the shot and the boosters, but I suspect we're going to find out very soon, and it's going to start with another pandemic. How do I know this? Well, the modern-day Nostradamus told me, Bill Gates. He is the largest investor in vaccines, and then there is a pandemic. He is the largest holder of farmland in America, and then there is a food shortage. He is the largest investor in artificial breast milk, and there is a crisis in baby formula manufacturing. It's like he's clairvoyant. So when Bill speaks, we should listen, especially when he and his wife sit and smirk as they say this about the pandemic. You know, they took their experience and actually prepared, and so they moved a lot faster. Uh, so we, you know, we'll have to prepare for the next one. That, you know, I'd say is... Uh, will get attention this time. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd say is, uh, will get attention this time. Mm -hmm. Yes, they have something really special planned for the next pandemic, and that is where item number two comes in. You see, in about a week, the United Nations is going to convene and vote on a treaty that will transfer governmental authority over to the World Health Organization in the event of another declared pandemic. The WHO will be given authority to decide how a country will respond to the declared pandemic, when it will respond, and how long the response will last. 
The WHO is a medical and financial arm of the UN, so it is a backdoor way for the UN to impose its will and authority over the sovereignty of every nation. In America, signing such a worldwide treaty will enable the UN, upon declaration of an emergency, to overrule our Constitution. You might think that's crazy. Maybe you think I'm crazy. Well, don't take my word for it. Listen to what Janet Ossabard has to say about it right from her latest video episode of The Fall of the Cabal, the sequel. She sums it up pretty nicely. In May of this year, the WHO will gain total control over each and every country in case of a future pandemic. At an upcoming conference on May 22 to 28, 2022, Ultimate control over the world's healthcare systems is scheduled to be delivered pending a vote to the WHO that will give sweeping power to the WHO's Director General to declare health emergencies or crises in any nation, even if that nation opposes it. The Director General will be able to declare these health crises based merely on his personal opinion or consideration that there is a potential threat. People will lose the right to be protected by their constitution. The WHO, faithful vassal of the UN, will have total power and control over you. Make no mistake, when that happens, you will feel like the people of Shanghai right now, with no rights, no liberties, no free choice, and no hope. Like George Orwell wrote in his infamous 1984, if you want a picture of the future, imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. Not a pretty picture, right? So, is there any hope at all? Of course there is. There always is. But the main problem with humanity is that they want to be saved. They want a savior, or at least someone who does the job for them. And that's not going to happen. This shift, this great awakening, can only take place for the people, by the people. In other words, you will have to become active. No, a boot stomping on our head forever is not a pretty picture. Maybe you think this could never happen, not in America, and maybe you're right. But the Biden administration sure thinks it will. They are very excited about this treaty, and so are all the Democrats in the House of Representatives, which hold a voting majority in that body. And so are the Democrats in the Senate, which hold parity with the Republicans, with the vice president casting the deciding vote should that become necessary. In fact, I predict there will be a fair number of Republicans who will end up voting for this treaty. Their handlers will surely call in that card so it looks like it has broad political support. The thing about treaties is that the globalists in America have worked very hard over the past few decades to make treaty law supreme even over the Constitution. You might not like it, and you might even think it's unconstitutional. But what you think doesn't matter. All that matters is what those in power think. What matters is what the general staff of the military think and who they are going to back. Do you have confidence that this set of elected representatives will hold off a push for global health governance when the full power of the media is brought to bear on behalf of international health and safety? What do you think? Will the courts rule in favor of the Constitution? Or will they rule in favor of international health and safety, especially when riots break out on their streets since everyone now knows where they live? And how will world leaders who have been bought and paid for by the globalist billionaires and trillionaires respond to an America that threatens their health? Do you see a civil war coming? Because I do. If you've been listening to the alternative media for the past two years, you would have heard them warning about the approaching medical tyranny that will consume the world. The term medical tyranny does not mean a monopoly on medical services. It means the destruction of freedom and the installation of governmental tyranny through the mechanism of deliberately generated fear followed by medical compulsion. It is the establishing of tyranny through the excuse of health and safety. Medical tyranny means no more America as we have known it. 
it means that you will have a choice of one of two paths. Either you, your spouse, your parents, and your children will accept the process of becoming slaves to the new ruling class, real slaves, just like in the bad old days, or you, or they, or all of you, will be suicided, just like that guy in the New York jail. And the rising tyrants don't really care which it is. Since the UN doesn't have its own military, it has to create one from those that already exist. And to do that, national sovereignties must be dissolved. But if some nation's military leadership decides not to go along with the unfolding tyranny, there is always the backup plan, courtesy of the bioweapon that so many people willingly placed into their body. It is the high-tech version of a guy walking around with a bomb strapped to his neck. Once the American military has either capitulated to the rulers or been successfully dispatched, the Russian and or Chinese military will be free to walk in and take over the richest mineral and agricultural land on the planet. And the one world government will be able to form without anyone to resist it. Is this just crazy science fiction nonsense? I wish it were, but it's not, because it's not like they're hiding their intentions for those who listen. Come back next episode and hear what the globalists have been telling you openly for the past decade. And then you make the call. Meanwhile, what is a Christian to do? As you might guess, I have a few suggestions. First of all, pray. God can fix what man cannot, although don't be presumptuous and think that he will just for the asking. God told us that life must get really, really bad before Jesus returns to set things right, and the bad includes a whole lot of people killing each other. Since I haven't been told that Jesus is back yet, that event must still be in the future, so some lucky generation is going to be right in the middle of all the chaos and misery that Satan and his supporters are going to unleash on the world. After all, Satan runs the world, and he has an agenda. Remember what it is? To destroy what God created and replace it with what he will create, and in the process, bring worshipers to himself. And what does the world he controls actually want? Well, believe it or not, it wants the same thing, and the leaders of the world will tell you that if you just have ears to listen. You should bring those ears the next episode because they're going to tell you exactly what they want. In the meantime, pray that God waves his hand of protection over you and your family and stop taking shots of any kind, and certainly don't give them to your children. At this point, we don't know exactly what's in any of those things, but from the research that independent scientists around the world have already conducted, we do know they are filled with graphene oxide, a known toxin and a material that can assemble itself into other materials on the nanoscale, which is smaller than a human blood cell, and build macro structures. It also contains DNA-modifying technology that will permanently alter you on the cellular level and steadily degrade your immune system, leaving you increasingly prone to serious medical problems like heart disease, strokes, and aggressive cancers. So if you get sick, find a doctor who will treat you with old, well-established, existing safe medicines like WHO-approved, world-tested, and highly effective ivermectin which the people who are trying to kill you like to call horse dewormer, they and their evil media allies. Now, if you live in a state like I do that has outlawed almost every medicine that is actually safe and effective that could help, like ivermectin, then just do whatever it is that you need to do to get what you need, whether it is ivermectin or a slew of other safe treatments. Third, if you took the shot and are having regrets about it, visit themedicalrebel.com for some things you can do to try to detoxify your body or at least strengthen it to fight off whatever this thing is designed to do to you. Fourth, and very importantly, don't make yourself a needless target. Help those who need and want help, but shake the dust off your feet and avoid those who don't. I don't mean by saying avoid being a target that you should avoid doing anything because Christians are called to put our lives on the line for others. I mean, just don't put your life on the line needlessly. The days are coming, says Revelation, when even people in our churches are going to betray other people in our churches and turn them over to the world authorities. I can easily envision a scenario where medically terrified people turn on other people who threaten their health, specifically anyone who refuses to submit to whatever medication protocols and gene-editing potions the government says we must take. The terrified people will think they're doing the world a big favor by turning in their brethren to the authorities because that's what the government will tell them through a very compliant and complicit media. 
They will believe they are doing their part to make the world safe. So be ready for the next round of medical terrorism because it's going to infiltrate organizations and people near you. The demons of death very likely already have another bioweapon or two ready to deploy, and that bioweapon is undoubtedly going to produce some horrible physical effects that will traumatize and terrify a large portion of the population. When people are consumed with fear, they will do whatever they're told to do to comply with the dictates of the authorities. Vicious male and female Karens will rat you out in a heartbeat, and the authorities will gleefully make a public display an example of you. It's not going to be pretty, so we don't need to make ourselves an early and easy target by getting labeled as a potential government troublemaker. So work behind the scenes to influence whoever will listen to you, while avoiding those who won't listen to you so that you don't get put on that list. Remember what Jesus said, Don't cast your pearls before swine. The pearls are the gospel and the things of God. Don't throw them at the feet of people who are going to trample all over them. Finally, do whatever you can to prepare for the chaos that's coming. As I said, the tyrants need chaos to bring in their tyranny, and they plan to introduce chaos six ways to Sunday. I very much doubt we will make it all the way to the November election without them unleashing a fair amount of chaos, which will give the government the excuse they want to lock down everything again and maybe even cancel the election. But if they can't cancel it, they will want another remote voting debacle so their mules can operate effectively and secretively to pack the ballots. Chaos is coming, not only to the streets, but also to the supermarkets. Food shortages are on their way, and with food shortages come desperation. It's been said we're only three missed meals away from riots in the streets. A looming food crisis is not a theory, but an unavoidable fact, because there's now no way to stop it. Fertilizer is in short supply. Diesel fuel stocks are running low, and all farm equipment runs on diesel, and the supply chain is breaking down. The government continues to pay farmers to destroy crops and sends its agents out to kill millions of chickens over a purported avian virus that's affected exactly no one. And the ongoing droughts in the West and the Midwest are destroying many formerly productive farms. And don't forget the mysterious fires that keep burning down food production plants and distribution facilities around America. Thank goodness that Bill Gates is buying up all the farmland. Go Farmer Bill! I'm sure he's going to roll up his sleeves and get dirty like Mike Rowe. Maybe we'll be able to look at the specifics of this pending food disaster in another episode, but in the meantime, you might want to consider what will happen to you and your family if we're locked down again, whether from another pandemic or to control rioters on the streets. Do you have enough food set aside to get through a month? Two months? Maybe more? What if you're prevented from leaving your home to get food like the people in Shanghai? They are literally starving, and the government just goes around in white Tyvek suits and respirators destroying their backyard gardens. Trust us, we're from the government. Splat. Back here in America, if diesel gets any more expensive, you might soon find nothing on the shelves because truckers will stop moving the goods to the stores. They are now paying $1,000 to fill their tanks. That's for a tractor-trailer. And with fixed contracts, they will not be able to operate their rigs if the price of fuel goes any higher. Once that happens, store shelves will empty out very quickly. Amazon and Walmart and other retailers will not be able to ship any goods to your door because they won't have any goods to ship. And then consider the Internet of Things. One little Internet attack could bring the entire online shopping adventure to a quick and abrupt halt. In that case, your magic credit and debit cards will not work. In a moment of time, we will be back to the stone age of paper money. Do you have any cash on hand? What if banks are closed or run out of physical currency? That's happened before. If the banks fail or close, so will the ATMs. So I recommend that you get some cash and you put it somewhere safe and include a lot of small bills with a stash. If you need to buy things and only have large bills, you might have the unpleasant choice of either parting with the large bills to buy something small or not buy anything at all. People who have things to trade will not necessarily be carrying a lot of change. See, this has been experienced before. In the Balkan Wars that followed the breakup of Yugoslavia, these very problems and many more plagued the area for years. To alleviate potential food shortages or even the cost of food, you might want to look into small footprint farming techniques and get some non-GMO seeds. You should get heirloom seeds. Hybrid seeds produce one crop of food but no seeds for the next crop. 
you want to be able to produce more than one crop if it becomes necessary. Oh, and you might also want to get some water filtration equipment. If the power goes down, you won't have water for very long even on a public system. You'll need a plan to collect it and to filter or treat it to be safe for drinking. Those are just a few of the very simple things you can do to prepare for a carefully crafted and engineered disaster. But if you're not in good standing with God, I would start with that. God wins in the end, but the process to get there is going to be rough and ugly. The sooner you decide to fight for his side, the better off you will be, especially if life becomes chaotic and unpredictable, or much shorter than you expect. If you are already on his side, then find some like-minded Christians you can rely upon in the event of an emergency and make friends with them. You might need each other in the not-too-distant future. Oh, and listen to this podcast to keep you on top of the world events that are going to affect you, whether you want them to or not. As God said in Proverbs 22.3, A prudent man foresees danger and hides himself, but the simple pass on and suffer for it. Simple people are not necessarily stupid people, but rather they're people who refuse to see reality for what it is. God is not going to do all the work. He expects us to act wisely and with discernment, which is why he gave us the Bible. We have a manual to train us up, so we should not despise the gift of God by presuming on his goodness. It isn't wise. If you found this podcast interesting, useful, or important, please recommend it to someone you know and give it a happy face or whatever your app has to encourage others to listen. Please pray for this podcast to reach more people and help them personally and spiritually. Underground Christian can be heard on several fine podcast platforms, including Podbean, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, TuneIn, iHeart, Player FM, Listen Notes, and Pandora. If you wish to contact me, please send an email to undergroundchristian at outlook.com. Until next time, keep your eyes open, your ears tuned, and your feet moving to do the work of God. 